Welcome to a new episode of Time to Shine. This is your host, Oscar Santolaya. Time to Shine presents you interviews with successful public speakers who share their experience and secrets with you in a weekly podcast. Hello and thank you for joining this show today. One of the main reasons to create and deliver presentations is to present data. So today we're going to discuss what are the effective ways to do this. For that, I have a very special guest, Leah Pika. She is a seasoned digital analytics practitioner, social media marketer, and blogger with over 11 years of experience building search marketing and digital analytic practices for companies like Scholastic, Victoria's Secret, and Prudential. Her greatest passion is the stage, her platform for empowering digital practitioners and analytic consultants to present information in a way that gets remembered and inspires action. She is also host of a podcast, The Present Beyond Measure Show. Hello, Leah. Hi, it's great to be here. Very welcome to the show, Leah. Thank you. Leah, could you start telling us a bit more about yourself and your projects. I'd love to. So as you mentioned, I'm a digital analyst by trade. I've worked in digital marketing or web marketing for over 10 years. And what it means to be an analyst means looking at how people come into your website and your other digital properties, whether it's from social media or email or other marketing channels, and answering the question of whether they accomplished the business objectives on your website. So basically, how effectively your website supports your goals. Now, this job requires a lot of presenting internally and externally, mm -hmm. um, because, you know, analytics is a bit of an esoteric field. Uh, many times, there's only one or two analyst resources in a company. Uh, I've been in that role many times. And everyone else has no clue what it is that you do all day. <laughs> so, But everyone wants to know what the numbers are on the website. So, And it's not that easy of a question to answer. So our field is a very hot commodity right now. And what I've learned throughout my career is that every major step forward that I've taken has been the result of when I've presented my data effectively in a way that informs and inspires action. So, you know, after many years of studying how to do this well and seeing how major a shift in the receptiveness to my work has been since taking on that new this new philosophy, I decided to take my message on the road and I went rogue, left corporate, and I started my own practice of consulting, training, and professional speaking to help spread the message that, you know, people like Gar Reynolds and Nancy Duarte and Edward Tufte work so hard to put out there, which is that there are ways to present information that tap into the brain's potential for comprehension. And if you want to see results from presenting your results, it's not a nice to have, it's table stakes as an analyst if you really want to make a name for yourself. And, you know, my most recent projects, I've kicked off a series of training workshops for my professional association and for some private agencies. Um, I've been privately coaching practitioners and industry experts for conference presentations. That's been so fun. And as you mentioned, you know, my favorite project has definitely been kicking off my own podcast, The Present Beyond Measure Show, where I go way deep on the whole intersection of presentation, visualization, and digital analytics, where I talk to some of the best-known 
own industry experts in our field and produce my own content for helping people learn this idea. Wow, awesome. Hey, congratulations for your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> On this journey that you just described, when was it you start uh, speaking in public, going to the stage? How long ago so, was more or less? <laughs> <laughs> so my stage career started when I was very young. I have a very uh, deep background in musical theater. Mm. When I, I studied ballet since I was a child and I spent most of my high school career on stage. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, I got to college and started dabbling in opera and student film. And I realized this was not the life for me. I just wasn't good enough or committed enough. Um, and I had to find something a little more hands-on. Um, but what was great was that I had opportunities to essentially take the stage with presenting throughout working. And I would say my first public appearance was actually, I was six months pregnant with my son and I was invited to speak on a panel at a client summit of a company that I've been a client of for many years. And that was actually quickly followed by a second panel discussion within my company. So that's, I would say that's also when my son's very illustrious speaking career <laughs> was born. <laughs> um, but at my first big solo presentation where it all really started was after I had gone on what I call this journey to presentation enlightenment, where I started studying Gar Reynolds and Nancy Duarte mm -hmm. and Stephen Few, and um, had started to put all of their principles into practice. So that same company invited me to their client summit the following year for a closing keynote. And, you know, typically they like to hear uh, clients present case studies that help promote uh, their products and services. It's very typical. And I begged them to take a bit of a chance on me because I really wanted to go a different direction and start to get this message out there that there's a better way to present information in my industry. So I, I asked them to, to take a chance on me and luckily for me, they agreed. And of course, I was absolutely terrified that, you know, these were very unconventional ideas of how people put together slides and create charts. And I thought for sure I'd be fighting off pitchforks and torches <laughs> from, um, on stage, but I couldn't believe the reaction. It was so much more amazing than I could possibly imagined. Um, they told me later that that session happened to be one of the highest rated sessions of their summit of all time, which was incredibly gratifying and humbling. But it was also very illuminating that this was, it, it became clear to me that this was a very needed topic of discussion with my industry. No one was really talking about it this way. So that's when my mission was born and I haven't stopped spreading it since. Awesome. It means that you you start on the stage as an artist, eh? <laughs> not as a speaker. Performance art, yeah. But yeah. I, I practice what I preach. I put in every single principle that I learned and talked about into that presentation. And the fact that it got such a reaction was validation that all of those principles really work. So, you know, it was taking a big chance presenting about presenting because if it mm -hmm. fell flat, I was a giant fraud, but, um, it didn't turn out that way. Luckily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Could you start defining one, one term that we're going to use is you use often, of course, is data visualization. What is that? Sure. So data visualization can have 
a number of definitions. Um, one definition I've come across that I like is the presentation of data in a pictorial or graphical format with the goal of communicating information clearly and efficiently. So that means creating very simple charts in business presentations or more complex infographics on news publications where someone's walking themselves through, um, or even elaborate and animated visualizations like Han Rosling's astounding Gapminder TED Talk. That's a famous one. Um, but for me, the goal and the idea around effective data visualization is truly telling a story that is grounded in fact, but in a way that informs and inspires an audience and creates influence for yourself, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, yeah, very concrete explanation. And now I'm going to a more wide, um, wider context that people need to present data in like normal presentations. Mm -hmm. You need to present some data. Could you tell us, uh, summarize, what are the, the top principles of presenting data effectively? Sure. So on my own podcast, uh, I produce a video segment called Primp Your Slide, <laughs> where mm -hmm. I take listener-submitted visualizations or charts or slides, and I overhaul them using a methodology I created with all of the training and practice that I've had in the last decade. And I call this the PICA methodology, like my last <laughs> name, mostly because I'm extremely uninventive when it comes to naming things. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it also, when I really thought about the words that went in, it happened to fit the methodology really well. So for now, I'm, I'm keeping it. Um, and I would love to share that methodology with your listeners if I could. Sure. Okay. So the first letter is P for purpose. Um, you know, we have to start every visualization before we start making it look pretty. Um, we have to actually ask what it means and what this visualization is supposed to do for us. So many times in our field, we're asked to kind of regurgitate data. Either we do it on our own or we're being asked by our boss. And a lot of time our bosses or managers don't necessarily, they know the business goal, end goal in mind, but they don't know how to ask for data that would directly support informing that goal, if that makes sense. Um, so they will ask for things that have no impact or value to informing a decision. It's more like a gamification thing where, you know, we often get asked, how many visits did the site get? How many visits did the site get? You know, it's, <laughs> it's sort of this uh, leaderboard thing. So in our industry, we call this data puking <laughs> and <laughs> it happens a lot <laughs> and it's, it's a struggle with what we want to present versus what we're asked to give. It's a balance that we have to achieve. And I believe that for every single chart that we present, we really need to ask ourselves, does this chart have a purpose in life? What, it, what is its goal in life? You know, is it going to help my stakeholders move forward in a decision Or is it going to validate or invalidate a test theory that we had? What we want to do is get away from regurgitating data for the sake of just having data and really use it as a vehicle to decisively move forward. And that's what having a purpose means. So the next letter is I for insight. And we talk a lot about insights in analytics. 
And an insight by definition is the capacity to gain an accurate and deep intuitive understanding of a person or thing. And in this case, it's a, it's of a data point essentially, but between what our clients ask us for and our own methods of uh, finding data, you know, we many times only offer our clients observations like on this date, this happened and that's the end of the story. But insights really get to the why behind something happened and what we recommend to do about it. So the first step in finding your insight is choosing the right visualization for your message. One of my favorite bloggers and authors, his name is Nathan Yao. He runs a site called Flowing Data. It's a fantastic data visualization site. And in one of his posts, he wrote that there are nine different charts that can show composition. So basically what what are parts of a whole. And that's a very influential type of data when you use it right. Um, but that, that can be really mind numbing to choose from all of those choices. And I would argue that there's really one best way to support your key message. Now messages can be composition, correlation, how something's trending. And there's a number of ways to visualize each of these. But again, I would argue that there's one best way that can support the story you're trying to tell. Like if you're trying to show composition very clearly, my best recommendation is always a sorted bar chart. For me, there's nothing clearer or more quickly uh, to show that. But you may need a side-by-side by chart to show two different metrics that feed into each other and tell the whole story. I'll talk about that in a moment. Um, or, you know, that might not be the best way to show composition over time, where there you could use a stacked bar chart that can show those two messages. So learning how to use the right visualization for your message is important. There's a fantastic resource where people can learn how to do this better. Um, it's by the folks behind Juice Analytics, great data visualization site as well. And uh, they have an interactive chart chooser tool where you choose your message you're going for and it filters down the choices you can have. So you can actually find that at leahpika.com slash chart chooser if you want to check that out. And another way I provide insight is something I teach a lot about, which is called a McKinsey title. I think this is in every blog post and every, every makeover that I do. But a McKinsey title is something where you'll see a lot of if you're on the New York Times looking at their data viz charts, um, flowing data, and sites like 538. Um, but a McKinsey title essentially replaces what you see most of the time, which is a simple statement of what the slide or chart is. So you'll oftentimes see a title of a slide that says campaign overview or survey results. It's a very matter of fact, here it is. But what a McKinsey title does is it replaces that very blah statement with an action statement or you know real analysis of what the data actually means. Mm. So you want a McKinsey title I wrote recently was off of a, a survey result. Website visitors struggle the most with our account management features. You know, you're helping connect the dots to what the chart is saying and really what the story is. Mm -hmm. And then the chart would go on to show that, you know, there's a list of customer survey responses showing that the most troublesome areas have to do with account management. But you can hear the difference when someone's going to look at that slide between saying survey results 
And this is where our customer is struggling. And a real insight, you wouldn't really stop there. You would quickly follow that with a recommendation of how this can be resolved. And that to me is the difference between an observation and an insight. And that extra recommendation is the added value that the digital analyst or marketer can add beyond just crunching numbers all day and putting charts in front of people. So we're halfway through. So um, the next letter (laughs) in the methodology is C for context. So something I see very often in analytics presentations is a single data point given without any other context. So for example, one of our titles could be email is 17% of our sales. And that, you know, that's great. Um, But someone might say, well, that means it's not doing so great as a channel. So let's not put any more money there. Let's put money in um, social media where we're getting more sales, let's say. But when you look beyond that single metric and you bring in context, you might find that Email is actually your most cost-effective channel. It's your lowest cost per lead or, you know, you're spending the least amount of money to get the amount of sales that you're getting. That's a very common metric in digital marketing. So you might think, wait a second, <laughs> the story is not that we should take money away from email. We might need to put more funding towards email so we can maximize how efficient that channel is and then maybe bring its overall share of sales upward. But you would have never known that if I had not looked outside of just that one single metric of what percent of sales is from email, if that makes sense. So to me, that's context is about rounding out the story as full as you can possibly make it. So you're making a truly informed decision. And then the very last letter, and this is the big doozy, (laughs) is, uh, is A for aesthetics. So aesthetics is where I go with the most depth in my training. Um, it's where I see the most mistakes being made. And it's where I see the, it, it's the easiest to make a big impact and change because there's a pretty fairly defined set of rules around uh, visualization aesthetics. The other stuff is more of a soft skill that comes with a lot of experience. Um, But a lot of this is around learning principles of visual design that impact cognition or the comprehension of data. And that really starts with using something called pre-attentive attributes to highlight your key message. So pre-attentive attributes of objects allow our brains to understand information without any conscious effort. So when it's done right, it can help a graph or chart be understood much more quickly and accurately, which is Again, for me, that ultimate goal of data viz. So pre-attentive attributes can include color, size, and shape, and placement to assist the viewer of the data to comprehend it in a way that aligns with the presenter's story. That's a key piece there. So I have an example um, of how that works, if I may. Um, So if you saw a wall of numbers on a screen and all of them were the same exact shape, size, and color, and you're asked to count all of the instances of the number seven, your brain has to consciously work to track all of them down using your attentive processing. But if someone marked all of the sevens in a darker color Mm -hmm. or made them larger or tilted them, 
you can now unconsciously pick them out more quickly using your pre-attentive processing and you've saved a lot of time. And what that does is allow you to maintain the attention on yourself because what I always tell my students is that your ultimate goal for presenting is to keep the attention on you. You are the star of the show. You are the reason they're there. So if your chart or slide is kind of drowning you out because it's taking too much time to understand, you've essentially invalidated your your reason for being there. And that's where this kind of uh, design principles can really help you. So now I don't mean using these attributes to mislead or manipulate the story, just to highlight and support the key points that you as the storyteller are trying to make. So color is one of the main points I like to train my students on in terms of effective data viz, and that does not make mean making your chart look like a Christmas tree, even though unfortunately a lot of our clients ask us to do that. They want it to look more colorful or festive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, very often I see in data presentations chart that uses the default color palette of Excel or PowerPoint because you'll do one click of the mouse and you'll walk away and you're done. But I believe each chart has to be crafted in a way that it is like a work of art that communicates a story. So, you know, while the palettes themselves have gotten less visually offensive in recent years, they were pretty ugly uh, a few years ago, you know, they're really not any closer to providing the best practices in using color to support your key message. And that's because how you use color to support your key message is a judgment call that you have to make on your own. It's not something any tool can do for you. And that's a really important idea. You know, it's a thought process for making that judgment call. And that's what I aim to equip the practitioners in my field with. So your message might not be this marketing channel has the most sales. It might be that email marketing may be third in sales, but it's the most cost effective. Mm -hmm. And if you're highlighting that data point using the right color, that's what's going to help your message stand out so much more, so much clearer than having your audience scratch their heads and figure out, well, what are you trying to say? That's where you really go wrong. And in the meantime, they won't be listening to you tell your story. They'll be busy trying to interpret Mm -hmm. your graph. And that, to me, is the definition of ineffective data viz. And the final piece of aesthetics, this is a big one, is chart detox. So, um, you know, you have to have clean charts that are free of clutter and don't interfere with the absorption of your message um, in in your audience's brain. That's something called um, cognitive load. So the harder the brain has to work, the less attention they're paying to you. Again, that's that's not what we want. So, you know, once again, you set up a data set in Excel or PowerPoint and you do one click of the mouse and Excel will happily add all sorts of cognitive loading junk for you that completely interferes with your message. So I take all of my students through a very specific detox sequence um, for several different chart types so that there's nothing standing in the way of the quick comprehension, you know, by the people they're presenting to. And that means removing things like grid lines, axes, borders, shading, any kind of extraneous ink that doesn't encode data. And it sounds like a very time consuming process and it definitely takes practice, but 
I also show my students that they can save all of their chart types as templates that can be reused over and over so that they're not spending their valuable time doing rework. And then the excuses are out. <laughs> so that is the PICA methodology in a nutshell. And um, it's where it's how I've aligned all of the principles I've learned for best practice data visualization. Hmm. Well, you have done a really great job summarizing this on this uh Pika principles, this uh, <laughs> group in these four four topics, and yeah, definitely there's a lot of tactical things that can be learned and put in practice. I the one that stuck more to me is the this you said McKenzie title how how it's called mm -hmm. McKenzie title McKenzie exactly. title right that you have um, so you put the inside and part already of the part of the persuasion already in the title right that's the Exactly. You're, you are still telling the story. So mm -hmm. if you can, you can just show data and show a chart and say, these are our survey results and walk away. You can do, you can be an analyst and do that. But if you really want to be that analyst that stands out and gets mm -hmm. ahead or a marketer, search marketer, it, anyone, anyone who presents data, um, that is that extra piece of value you're going to add because you've added critical analysis around that. And that's the McKinsey title for me is one of the best ways to do that in a live presentation. Mm -hmm. Great. And now I would like to ask you more examples of, uh, let's say, famous people, uh, either in, especially in, in other fields, right? Not directly in the, in the data visualization or uh, data analysis, uh, more like a TEDx talk, some, something, someone famous who you know that you can show us as examples of guys who really present data effectively. Mm -hmm, sure. So one very mainstream person, he's a little controversial, mm -hmm. um, but he comes to mind is Al Gore. So I'm a bit of a closet hippie and environmentalist. And the parts that I saw of An Inconvenient Truth really hit mm -hmm. home for me. Um, there's a part in that documentary that really stood out where he he shows with a chart how the polar ice caps have thinned out in the last few decades and why this is such a, a big threat to the very delicate balance of our ecosystem. And his chart is simple and easy to read. There's some stuff I would have taken out, but and it uses animation to to show the trend down and that creates dynamism and energy. And I think an animation is a very underrated tool for for presenting charts. But what I actually really loved about that particular data point was he prefaced the whole statistic with a personal story of how he rode in a submarine that pushed through a polar ice cap with videos and pictures and, and the fact that the submarine was able to push through the ice cap is a sign that those ice caps are thinning and this is a very mm. dangerous point in time. So he brought that statistic to life with a very personal part of his journey. And for me, that captured the very essence of what data storytelling really means. And, you know, despite any speculation around the accuracy of all of his facts, mm -hmm. one thing I know for sure is he knows how to present data to create a real impact. Yeah, I believe also I, it does part of the, the inconvenient through the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, it was... It's easy to, to understand all the points, what he, he's saying. So, yeah, I believe it's a, it's a, it's a great example. 
Now could you now could you tell us some of the tools that you use in if we really want to put this in practice, what are the tools that you use for uh, mm -hmm. presentations? Sure. So I would love to say that I use some very fancy newfangled tool <laughs> <laughs> to create presentations and charts, but to be fully in full disclosure, I use PowerPoint and Excel. Mm -hmm. It's actually part of my whole teaching platform that the tools that most of us have at our disposal on a daily basis mm -hmm. does have the potential for supporting us in a way that realizes our presentation objectives so beautifully. It's just a question of learning to use the tool correctly. So my big platform is master those first, then you can play around with some new tools. But right now, they work extremely well for me. And teaching them how to use that works extremely well. But I definitely have some other tools that I use in conjunction with PowerPoint mm -hmm. that have transformed how productive I work. So for brainstorming, um, you know, I go the analog route when I'm brainstorming a presentation. I, I use my little post-it notes. And then when I translate that to a digital space in a more linear format, I use Google Slides. I don't use Google Slides to present. <laughs> there are a lot of limitations still. And, um, you know, they, they have a, a bit of a ways to go to match kind of the power of what PowerPoint can offer. But I, I do the content work in Google Slides so that I can work on it from anywhere. And if I have an idea, I can pull up any device and drop it in really quickly. And the main thing is I can see my presentation content free of any sort of design distraction. So a habit I used to, a really bad habit I used to do was um, I used to put one slide at a time into PowerPoint, fully design it, and then move on. Because the design part's fun, right? <laughs> But then I'd realize that, you know, this slide doesn't really support my overall message or there, there's no place for it. And I'd get rid of it. And that was time wasted. So I don't do any design work until my content is like 90% mm -hmm. of the way in Google Slides. There's always, uh, you know, refining that has to be done. But, but what I've done is I've matched my Google Slide master template to my PowerPoint template so that when I pull it into PowerPoint, everything aligns beautifully. And there's, you know, very little extra design work relatively. Um, I also have a couple of nifty tools in PowerPoint. So two of my favorites are KeyRocket and SlideProof. They're both made, made by a company called Vioden. And KeyRocket is amazing. It basically unveils all of the keyboard shortcuts inside of Windows. So PowerPoint, Excel, whatever you're doing in Windows. And let's say that you've taken the long route to sending something to back or bringing up the selection pane or something. There's a little pop-up window, like a little coach that <laughs> pops up and yells at you that you've taken the long route and it will tell you, hey, there's this shortcut to do this much faster. And then when you start to use that shortcut and master that shortcut, you get rewarded with little trophies and things, which is fun. But really the reward is that you've saved hours of time because you've learned all these shortcuts you never knew existed. And you can actually create custom shortcuts for very long sequences um, that you use a lot. So that's been amazing. And then um, SlideProof is fantastic because I do a lot of custom work outside even my own template. 
And it's kind of like your own personal proofreader. It finds text boxes that stretch off the screen, objects that are misaligned by even a few pixels and all kinds of grammatical issues. So I use them both on a daily basis. And if I may, um, you know, if you go to their site and download their free trial, um, it will be a very limited version of both of those. So um, I've partnered with them actually to offer folks a fully unlocked version of those um, of those pieces of software. So if you'd like to get that, um, you can visit a custom page I've made for your listeners at leahpika.com slash time to shine. So I hope they enjoy that. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. The, as you said, many people end up using a normal tool like, like, uh, like PowerPoint, but usually in order to make a really great presentation, you need some, some few extra tools like, like the ones you, you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Could you now, Leah, tell us what is your favorite quotation? There are so many to choose from. <laughs> Big one. I love quotations, but my favorite quote as it relates to presenting data is by Al Shalloway. He's a world-renowned expert in something called lean or agile project mm-hmm. management. Um, but his quote is that visualization act as a campfire around which we gather to tell stories. And I just love that quote. You know, I know data storytelling as a phrase is very hyped up right now, Mm -hmm. but I think it's one of those things where it's this shiny toy under the Christmas tree and you don't really know what's in it, who's really doing it right, and what does it actually mean? (laughs) But when I do a presentation of data, I work so hard to truly tell a story where I lead the audience through a struggle, I make them the hero. I'm nothing but their narrator and their Yoda, if you will, to guide them to a path to vanquish the enemy, which is whatever problem or struggle that the data is showing. So that quote, I think, really sends it home for me. Hmm. Now, could you recommend one book that has particularly inspired or influenced you? Yeah, so this is a brand new book. Um, one of my favorite de- data visualization experts, her name is Cole Nussbaumer Naflick. <laughs> Tough name. Um, she is also a trainer and a consultant, has worked for Google and, you know, really built a very strong practice in data viz. And literally last week, she just released her new book. It's called Storytelling with Data. And, you know, I've read a lot of these books and you kind of wonder what new thing someone can bring to the table in this area. But for me, it's one of the most comprehensive books I've found to learn not only how to build charts that are easy to comprehend and when to use them, but also what data storytelling really means. She has very concrete examples of data stories and they're crystal clear on how to use them. And what I like about her tone is sometimes there can be a lot of dogmatic, tough love. I'm guilty of that too in this field. <laughs> like, no, this is the wrong way. Don't mm-hmm. do that. But she has a very gentle but authoritative tone that I find extremely accessible and just just really, really pleasurable to read. So I would definitely recommend anyone who wants to start to get their feet wet for presenting data to pick up storytelling with data. Oh, thank you. Sounds really good. And thanks for bringing a very new book. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Now, could you share with us an exercise, something practical that you recommend to do it daily or weekly? 
as a routine to shine? I would love to. So it's funny, an unexpected benefit that I got when I started my own podcast was listening to myself speak. (laughs) I'm one of those people, like many others, who cannot stand the sound of my own voice and the way that I pronounce things. But I realized if I really want to excel as a professional speaker, I know that this is something I have to perfect over time. So I bite the bullet and I listen. Mm-hmm. And when I started my own podcast, you know, I do my own editing. So of course I have to listen to myself for hours and hours and it's like, <laughs> it's torture, but I've been amazed how many times I've caught issues with the way I pronounce certain words, mm-hmm. switch consonants, uh, that I tend to fumble a lot. Um, even patterns and inflections that to me sound like nails on a chalkboard, like how many times I say, you know, <laughs> in a sentence. So because of that, I've started to record and listen to myself um, when I'm preparing to present. And it's been illuminating in terms of how I'd like to sound. So anytime I'm getting ready to present, I record myself by speaking into a voice memo app on my phone. Mm-hmm. And not only for preparation, you know, I listen to it whenever I can't actually practice. I'll listen to it on the train or while I'm cooking or, you know, getting ready for to get my son ready for school. And it really helps me internalize the content. So it's an amazing preparation mechanism. But listening to yourself on a weekly basis for any presentation you're prepping to give can really give you an edge and by standing out, by sounding crystal clear and articulate because you've really polished over the rough spots and are cognizant of the way that you sound. <laughs> That's a really great idea. So, yeah, very good piece of advice. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> Hope it serves. <laughs> yes. Leah, thank you very much for this interview. It has been really a lot of things uh, that I learned by talking with you. Thanks a lot. Could you finally tell us how... We can learn more about you, follow you. What are the best ways? Sure. So my main online headquarters is at uh, www.leapica.com, L-E-A-P-I-C-A.com. You'll find all kinds of resources there, my blog, um, resources list, um, and my podcast, which is leapica.com slash podcast. And I'm also on Twitter. If you ever want to tweet me, I'm at leapica, again, L-E-A-P-I-C-A. And I can be found trolling around LinkedIn from time to time. So any of those places, you'll definitely track me down. Many, many ways. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Leah. It was a pleasure talking with you and all the best. Same. Thank you so much. Dear listeners of Time to Shine, this is the end of today's episode. If you like our show, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, or for more information, visit our website, www.timetoshinepodcast.com. Welcome to listen to us again next week.